And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another special edition episode of The Assembly Call. As I've got a special treat for you today, it is part two of my conversation with Devontae Green, which had not taken place back when I posted the last one. Uh, you know, we were able to talk for more than an hour, but he had to go. And I told him, you know, there's so much more that I want to talk to you about. And so he was, uh, he was cool enough to schedule another time. So we talked Friday morning and we're able to get into a lot more subjects. And so I'm really excited to post this. And first, I just want to say thank you to everybody who reached out with positive comments about that interview, either through email or on Twitter. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's great, you know, number one, to, to obviously get uh, you know, those comments for, for the conversation that Devante and I had, but also just to know how many people listened and cared and, and kind of went through that whole thing and really digested it, you know, and took specific things out of it. That's always so rewarding, you know, when you put time and effort and care into, you know, a piece of content like that. And, you know, not just to say like, Hey, it's cool that you guys did the interview, but actually like, you know, pulling out pieces that are like an hour into it to show that you really listen to it. So it just, I mean, that's the fuel that, you know, that keeps someone like me going. So I really appreciate you taking the time to send those positive comments. Uh, and I know that Devante appreciated them as well. Uh, so you may be thinking, wait a minute, you guys talked for like 80 minutes. <laughs> the first one, what could you have to talk more about? Well, there were a ton of subjects uh, to talk more about. And you know, when to get his perspective on, you know, whether it would be good for players you know, while they're playing to have interviews like the one that he did. And I think his answer there is actually pretty illuminating and might surprise you. Um, but I wanted to get his thoughts on that. Uh, what he thinks about the new name image likeness stuff that is is going to be coming down the pike soon in college basketball. Uh, we talk a little bit, about, bit more about his diagnosis uh, of type 1 diabetes, how he's handling that. Um, and then I thought he gave such a great answer, such a revealing answer um, about mental health challenges that college athletes face and mental health challenges that he faced and how Indiana University was there to help him through those. Um, that was great. And you know, we talk about his childhood, what it was like growing up, uh, how he got into basketball. And then I think you'll really enjoy, we kind of go go through and get some some teammate superlatives, right? You know, he told us that Jawan Morgan has the best hands of anybody he played with. So who's the best player? Who's the best shooter? Who's the best leader? Who's the best dunker? You're going to be shocked by who he says for best shooter, by the way. I just want you to know that. So you're just, you're going to be surprised. Even as you think through now, wait, who would shock me? You're still not going to come up with the guy that he said. So as you listen to this, if you have a name in your head right now of who you think it's going to be, and then he tells you the answer, if you're right, tell me, because you need some sort of prize, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're not going to be right. Um, and then we talk about the traditions of IU, which was a you know great way to end the conversation. And I really appreciate his candor on this. It's probably something that a lot of us, uh, a lot of us need to hear. But some really interesting stuff about recruiting and how that goes, about the Purdue rivalry, and and you know how Archie kind of handled that. Just a really fun conversation. Really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, I think if you enjoyed part one, you will definitely enjoy part two. Uh, so I'm happy to present it to you, and I hope you enjoy it. The last thing that I want to say, and then we'll actually do uh, this whole podcast ad-free, I just want to remind you to go to Playbook Products. So assemblycall.com slash PP is the URL. You know, it's too close to Mother's Day. You're not going to be able to go there and order anything for Mother's Day, but you got plenty of time for Father's Day. And so if there's a sports fan in your life, you can find them something at Playbook Products, I promise, because they've got a bunch of college teams, both football and basketball. They've got every professional team. 
And, you know, who can't use coasters, especially in this age when a lot of us are working at home, but certainly we all have like computer setups. We need a coaster by our computer. We need a coaster by the TV. Maybe you need a coaster on your nightstand. Well, that's three. Well, they sell coasters in sets of four. These really cool stone coasters. They have leather coasters. And each one has a diagram of a famous play. I'm sitting here holding. You can hear me knocking these together. I've got two stone coasters right here from Indiana, one of the Kirk Haston shot when Indiana beat number one ranked Michigan State when I was in college, uh, and then the 1976 NCAA championship game, the last play when Indiana became uh, champions, uh, undefeated champions by beating Michigan. Uh, also in the Indiana set is the watch shot, Keith Smart shot. And so for each team, they've got cool diagrams of famous plays in that team's history. Really cool. Stone coasters, leather coasters. You can also put them on mugs. Go to assemblycall.com slash PP. You can go there. We have literally had, I don't know the number, but it's like 60 or 70 uh, people because I can see, because that, that link is an affiliate link, so we get paid a commission uh, if you order through it. So it's a cool way to support the assembly call, cool way to get a, a cool a gift for somebody. And I can see all the orders that come through. We've had like 60, 70 people that have ordered uh, these gifts. So hop on the bandwagon, get a cool gift. Um, it's assemblycall.com slash PP. I think you're really going to like it. It's high quality stuff. I vouch for it. Go to assemblycall.com slash PP. Get your Father's Day gift now. All right. Without further ado, here is part two of my conversation with Devontae Green. Very happy to be back with Devontae Green here for part two of our interview. Devontae, thanks for taking even more time to talk with me, man. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. For sure, man. We got lots and lots of great comments uh, after the first interview. I'm sure you saw a lot of the a lot of the tweets that came through. You know, I got a lot of emails, a lot of comments in our uh, private community about it as well. And there was one of them that was really, really interesting to me that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, and this one actually came in this morning. Uh, it's from Scotchy. He said uh, about our the first part of our conversation. He said this interview got me to thinking IU basketball should make players more available early on to an interview such as this kind of like the coaches have been made available. I believe if tweeters felt like they could associate with a player, they'd be less apt to rip on them socially. What do you think of that? Um, possibly. <laughs> um, as a player, though, you're, you're trained to always give the politically correct answer and um, takes a lot of the personality out of you know an interview. But, I mean, I see players do interviews all the time. After games, you know, uh, even preseason, and um, people still <laughs> have their opinions on Twitter. So I don't know how much of a difference it would make. Yeah. Do you did you feel stifled like by the media policy that they that they kind of had you guys under while you were at IU? Um. No, I wouldn't say that. No. Um, they they just they they told us how how to handle the media and um, what to expect. But it wasn't real, um, like, you know, strict or anything. Like, would you have wanted to do an interview like this when you were in college, I guess, is is the question. Like, do you think that would have been useful? Do you think that would have been fun? Or is it kind of you're so focused on basketball and you're not really thinking about that kind of thing? Uh, me personally, I probably wouldn't have wanted to do an interview during my career. Um, just because a, uh, a lot of interview questions are you know, like set up for you to say something that might not be necessarily politically correct. Mm. Yeah. 
I guess because you had a couple moments like that in press conferences after games where there were there were a couple like I think there was one someone asked you about like being like like why your play was inconsistent or something like that like did you did you so you felt like that when you were in some of those press conferences that people were kind of trying to get you to give answers that might be a good soundbite for them but might not necessarily reflect well on you yeah sometimes for yeah. sure hmm. that was going up um yeah, I mean, it's it's just hard when you when you have to, as a player you have to walk on eggshells about everything you say. You know what I mean? So, do you think? I mean, see, that's interesting to me because I've always kind of been of the mind that you know if the players were given or if the media was given more access to players, maybe not in a in a press conference setting because that's so formal, but in a setting like this where it's a little bit more relaxed, you know, we can actually spend more time talking to get to know each other. It's not just like you know, me kind of shouting out a question from, you know, sitting in, you know, you're up on a podium and I'm down here. Like, it's just a different vibe. Like, do you think if you could do settings like this, that it would, because you're right, you probably would end up saying maybe something that's not politically correct. And certainly there are things that are inside the locker room that you wouldn't want to talk about and stories from inside the locker room. But do you think it would be that there would be any usefulness from your perspective as a player to to letting the fans get to know you a little bit better? And maybe it's not interviews like this. Maybe it's just being able to put more stuff on social media, you know, kind of like what it looks like the players are going to start doing now. Like, uh, and I guess the question is, is there anything that you wish you could have done to get more of yourself out there than you were able to while you were in college? Um, I wouldn't say there's more I could have done. Um, I mean, something like that, a setting like this would be a lot better, of course, um, for an interview as a player, but, um, no, I mean, if, if fans get to know the players more, they would just, they would see them more as a basketball player. And I think that would, uh, help the fans, you know, give more of a positive feedback than a negative. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, one other question I wanted to get your perspective on just about, you know, how things are already changing just since you left, which has only been a year. Obviously, it hasn't been that long. But what is your reaction to some of the name image likeness stuff and kind of this movement? Obviously, Indiana has been at the forefront of it, and it looks like, you know, the rules will eventually be changed to allow that. Uh, what, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Is that a good thing? Is there something about it maybe that we're not thinking about that could be a bad thing? What do you think about it? Um, I think it's a good thing. Um, I think it's should have happened a while, a long time ago. But um, I li- I, I like that they're they're uh, working towards you know letting that happen because um, that would be big for the players for sure. Do you so let let's say okay hypothetically speaking, like you know take take your senior year right? You got a guy like Trace Jackson Davis comes in. Just you know I don't want to maybe putting names to it isn't the best idea, but say there's a player like that, like an in-state player, everybody kind of loves that player and he's getting like these endorsements and all these different things and no one else in the locker room is really getting them. Is that, would that cause an issue, do you think? Or would guys just be happy for him getting what he's getting? Like, is there anything there that could cause rifts, you think? Um, I think, I mean, I think it'll vary by team for sure. And I think, but I think at first, I think everyone will just be happy that the rules changed because everybody will get their fair share of, you know, endorsements or whatever it may be. There will always be someone who's getting a little bit more than everyone. But um, I think for the most part, everybody would just be happy that the rule changed and 
they can actually make money off it. Somewhere down the line, though, there might be some problems in the, in the locker room, you know, once it's, it's kind of normal. And um, I think that's, that's a problem. That's probably the biggest problem of letting it, letting it happen now. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it, it probably just depends on the locker room. If you've got a real tight locker room where everybody's, you know, cool with each other, then it probably doesn't matter. If it's, if it's fractured and there's jealousy, then yeah, you know, yeah. guys probably aren't going to be happy. All right, so say that the name, image, likeness thing had been in place when you were there. Who would have been, like, the ideal companies that you would have wanted to have, like, sponsor you or that you would have been, you know, that, that you would have wanted to promote if you could have? Yeah, um, I don't know. That's a good question. Bloomington, Bloomington companies, probably Bloomington, because I imagine most of it would be local. But you know, it kind of depends. I mean, that's the thing. You know, if you're an out-of-state guy, you know, and especially if your games are broadcast out of state, like IU games are broadcast on the Big Ten Network, which is in New York. You know, maybe there's something mm-hmm. that you could get, you know, back home too. So I guess either either home or or yeah, local kind of in Bloomington. Well, probably my favorite food places. Um. Um. And and baked of Bloomington, it's my favorite. Yeah, I said, um, but um, I don't know, maybe like a like a um, technology place because I like I like uh, you know, games and stuff like that. So I would think that would probably fit me. You know. Yeah. What are your favorite kind of games to play? Um, right now, Call of Duty is number one on my list, and then um, I play two K from time to time. But I haven't really been playing games like that recently, but those are my top two. You know, we often hear, you know, players talk about, you know, playing video games. I know I've listened to some interviews with some of the new recruits, guys who haven't even had a chance to meet each other yet on the basketball court, but they've been playing, you know, video games together. And a lot, you know, like when older fans hear guys talking about playing video games, a lot of times they kind of roll their eyes and it's like, man, why are these guys playing video games? You know, they should be doing other stuff. Is that is that actually like a decent way to kind of like have some kind of team bonding? Like, is there something valuable that you get out of that besides just the fun of, of playing games? Is there something that the older fans don't realize about that? Definitely. Definitely. Cause, um, you t- you still, you have to communicate, you know, with your, with your team, um, in the game. So naturally you, it's just a, a kind of a bonding thing as a team. I know me, um, JMO race, Freddie McSwain, we, we used to play Fortnite together and we all got really close because of that. So really? I think it's a great, excellent bonding, um, tool. Now, when you guys are playing, are you all remote? Or are you in the same room playing? Nope. Remote. Remote. That, that, that probably shows how old I am. Cause back in the day when we would play video games, you know, we'd all be like going over to someone's house and playing, <laughs> but obviously you don't have to do that now. Okay. So is there more trash talk? among the basketball team about basketball or about video games? Probably video games. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> were there ever any like riffs that happened because of a video game or like guys are mad at each other for like a couple days because of something that happened in a video game or was it never quite that serious? Um, no, it's, it's gotten there a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How much of that story do you want to reveal without naming, without naming name? Like I'm curious what could cause... Like, like, what would cause that? Is it like you're supposed to be on the same team and someone shoots the other one? Or is it because the trash talk goes too far? Like, what, what causes that? Uh, uh, usually a lot of trash talk. Um, <laughs> you know how to get into your teammate's head with certain things, so you uh, <laughs> stay for that. 
Now, were you a big trash talker on the court? Uh, um, depends of the day. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe like when you were having like, were you more likely to be in a trash talking mood when you were having one of those games where you're kind of out of your mind making six, seven threes? Or was it something that you would do on a game when you were struggling to try to get into the game? Um, probably a game where I was hot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you'll take a shot or like somebody from the bench, like, oh, that's off. You know, they'll yell, that's off from the bench. And you kind of turn and look at them afterwards, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were there, so were there any players that you played, probably Big Ten players, because, you know, you, tend, you see those guys more and probably like build on court relationships with those guys more. Were there any Big Ten players that really brought it out in you, either because you just kind of had these mono a mono battles or because they annoyed you or because you just happened to play a certain way against them? Like, was there anybody that really brought the trash talk out in you? Um, I wouldn't say real, not really. Um, there was one guy on uh, Nebraska, Mac. I forget his first name. His last name is Mac. He was good, though. But he used to talk every time we played them. The point guard, Cam Mack, I think. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. point guard. Yeah, and he used to talk trash every single time we played them. So, I mean, he was the one I, w- I was looking forward to the most, and <laughs> seeing you know, and talking trash to. But there wasn't anybody else I was really like known for it. Yeah, who who were the other big trash talkers on the team? Like, were there any other guys on your team on Indiana that were big trash talkers, either in games or in practice? Yeah. Um, every, every day practice was, <laughs> you know I mean? A battle. Um, Duran, Duran was probably the biggest trash talker. For sure. Maybe because of me though, he was always trying to talk to me. <laughs> Maybe that's just for, me. but no, he used to talk to people, other people too. Um, who else? Some guys would have their days. Justin Smith, he'd have his days, you know, um, sometimes Al rarely, but sometimes we we have, have some good battles on practice. Practice yeah. was fun. What do you what do you think about the way that trash talk is policed during games? Cuz I hate it personally. Like I was always a big I was always a big talker back when I played. And I'll see some of the technical fouls that guys get for like, you know, saying get that stuff out of here after a block or whatever and some of the other stuff. It's like like my personal feeling is there should be a 5 second grace period after a big play. Or as long as you don't, as long as you don't like hurt somebody or touch somebody, anything should go. You can say what if it's a big play, you, if it's a dunk, if it's a big three, say whatever you want, you know, whatever. Is that how annoying is that to play? And your instinct is like to get into it. You know, the most of the fans like it because it's an entertainment product, and yet you know you have to kind of try to keep it vanilla because that would annoy the heck out of me if I was playing. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty annoying. Um. Because if you're a competitor, it's just natural, you know, to have a reaction to something, a big play, like you said. Um, but I mean, as long as I think it should be, it should be fine, like you said, as long as like nothing like crazy is, is said, you know, then I don't see the problem with trash talking. No. So speaking of trash talk, you you told a story uh, at the end of our first episode, the one about. Archie and him owing you a million dollars, and uh, I'm curious if between now, between when that episode came out and now, if Archie has uh, reached out to you and paid you the million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, didn't didn't think so. Um, 
it's interesting. You know, I had someone text me uh, after listening to that that basically said, you know, that story really summed up kind of the core of Archie's tenure. Uh, and the phrase they used was bitch at them about everything, but didn't connect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about that a lot, you know, in, in the first episode, you know, kind of your relationship with Archie and how it evolved and all that stuff. And I don't, we don't need to go into that again. But what I am curious about is the flip side of that, you know, because it's easy when a coach gets fired, you know, and you, you haven't won as much as you wanted to. You talk about all the bad things, you know, and, and obviously people saw you and Archie on the court, you know, sometimes and it looked like the relationship wasn't great, which you spoke to. But what are his strengths as a coach? You know, and why when when Tom Crean left and Archie came in, you know, did you decide to stay and play for him? I'm, I'm curious about the flip side of that and what positives you took from from the time with Archie. Yeah, um, he he's a guards coach. That was one of the main reasons I stayed and he's played before himself. So he knows what it's like to be a player. And um, that has a, a big role as a co- like as a coach. That's a, that's a big thing because um, not all coaches understand what it's like to be on the, on the other side. Yeah, which to me has always made it strange why he hasn't why he didn't connect better, <laughs> you know, because he does kind of have that does kind of have that background where yeah. where does that come in Cause i remember that was talked about with him when he first came in it's like oh you know because tom crean didn't have a, a you know playing background and so for all of his success that was always seen as one of his weaknesses like where specifically is that player background really able to come through is that something that like you know in a game he's able to see things that you see and point things out is it something from a development side because it, it didn't seem like it necessarily help the personal relationship that much correct me if i'm wrong but like where do you really see the benefits of having a guy who's played the position before as your head coach i think um in two two areas one is um the the scheduling as a before he came our schedule was probably twice as crazy um as far as like timing of, of workouts and and practices and all that so he understands what it's like to be you know a player so he he would um he would you know use that when making the schedule for the week and actually we didn't even have a schedule with with coach kareen he wanted us to just be on the on the fly like he texted us when practice was two hours before practice sometimes and we'd have to be there so and, and it was stressful that way so i think um the one is with the scheduling and two is um development um he he he, this teaching moment he could make because he was a point guard for someone like me who was trying to become a point guard and um for me that was that was big so not you know because you talked about the difference in player development between kareen and archie you know to where kareen was really big on like individual work and developing individual skills whereas archie really wanted to play five on five so you're talking more here about like development of your mentality, development of your understanding of the game, not necessarily like how to make a bounce pass or how to shoot, but how to see the game. Yep, yep, exactly. Okay. By the way, the stuff about Kareem not scheduling practice, which you've heard from so many players that played for him, has got to be one of the most insane details I think I've ever... I remember when I first heard that, I thought it wasn't true. I was like, how could you not... How do you... Like, what did you do? How do you plan a day when you don't know when practice is going to be? Yeah, you don't. (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't sleep. It was very stressful. You know, you never knew when you was gonna get that text, and um, especially as a freshman, I was. It was. It was hard. It was really hard. 
What did the what did the older guys say about that? Because I'm sure you must have. Oh, well, I guess did you know that was how it was when you committed to come here, or was that something you like? You show up and you're like, wait, what? We just have to wait for yeah. this guy to text us. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. Uh, I walked into a blind. I had no idea that's how it was. Uh, the older guys were used to it, so they were basically like, "Well, yeah, get used to it." <laughs> Jeez, that's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, one other thing that I wanted to hit on that, that we mentioned in the first show um, was, you know, your diagnosis as being type one diabetic, and I saw that you put a tweet out about that. Was that the first time that you've kind of publicly acknowledged it since the diagnosis? It was. It was the first time. Um, I got diagnosed maybe two months ago. And um, I've just been like, you know, seeing doctors and learning how to control it and whatnot. But nobody, nobody really knew. And then a couple of people um, found out when they heard the, the interview the first time. So um, I just felt like it was time to just put it out there. Yeah. You know, I did some research on it. Um, you know, pro athletes who have been, who've had successful careers with type one diabetes, you know, Jay Cutler, Kendall Simmons, those are NFL players. Uh, Chris Dudley and Adam Morrison were NBA players. Lauren Cox is a recent, you know, college basketball, uh, all American. She was the third overall pick in the WNBA. Is there anybody else that you've kind of seen or met or looked to since that diagnosis to give you inspiration for like, Hey, like this is like, I can still, all my goals are still out there. Once I figure out how to manage this, is there anybody that you're kind of looking to as a role model in that way? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, first thing I did was um, look up who, what athletes had <laughs> diabetes and played with it. And um, the basketball players, of course, were it was it was cool to see that there were some professional basketball players up there. And um, I also seen a soccer player, which is kind of amazing because that's a lot of running, you know. Yeah. And, but I wouldn't say someone specific. I mean, I looked up to, but. Now that I know that it's it's possible, then uh, that's all I needed, you know? Yeah. You know, one of the things, I kind of went down a rabbit hole, you know, researching it and, and some of the symptoms that you deal with, with with type 1 diabetes. You know, and one of the things that a lot of people talk about is some of the mental health challenges of it, you know? And some of that comes from just like, you know, kind of the daily, uh, I guess, necessity of like tracking your blood sugar and doing the shots and like all of that. It just, it sounds like it, it kind of starts to weigh on people at a certain point. You know, which kind of which kind of got me thinking about how IU handles mental health issues. You know, which is something that's been talked about a lot. You know, Indiana has the Excellence Academy. You know, putting athletes first a lot, and we hear about it a lot in the abstract, but it's never really quite clear how it works. And so I'm just curious if there was ever a time for you, you know, when you were able to kind of use the resources that IU provided to like help you get through something that you were going through on or off the court. And what does that kind of support look like? Cause I, I love that Indiana does it, but I don't really know exactly kind of what that looks like. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, not many people know, know that about that, about the, um, the help that IU gives with mental health. But, um, I did, I was aware of it and I seen, um, the school psychiatrist and talked to her. Um, and she was, her name is Dr. Day. She was probably the best person I've ever talked to as far as like relief. Like, you know what I mean? Just getting, cause being a student athlete, is, it's not easy at all. And especially mentally as a young kid, um, you're going to have a lot of ups and downs and that can affect kids mentally, you know? And I think it's really good to have someone to talk to at least um, that'll just listen and, and 
you know, take that, that stress off of you. Yeah. Is that, what kind of advice would you give, you know, to like new kids that are coming in that, you know, I imagine when you come in from high school, you've probably dominated, you know, high school and it hasn't been as difficult and college is just like this completely different challenge. And there's, you know, look, I think there's always been kind of like this macho culture, especially among, you know, male athletes where it's like, I don't need help. I don't need this. And so I, I, you know, I appreciate you talking about how you did that. And obviously, you know, guys like Kevin Love and all these NBA guys that have come forward with that, I think has helped. But what kind of advice would you give, you know, to someone who's coming into IU fresh, they think everything is, is great and haven't really hit the struggles yet. How would you kind of prepare them for what's ahead? Um, my advice would be if, if you start going through it mentally and you will start going through it mentally, um, use those resources. Cause I mean, it's going to, it sounds like, like you said, uh, as a male, a young male athlete, you usually are like, I don't need any help, you know, and have that kind of macho-ness, but, um, it really, it really helps. And, um, it will make you feel better. At one point I thought I was going insane, you know, but, um, after talking to, uh, Dr. Day a couple of times, I really was in a whole completely different headspace, you know, and no matter what the problem is, she will help you or whoever it is, will help you. And, um, you should definitely use it. It's amazing that those resources are there. It's so great. And, you know, you know, people hear that, you know, you say, you know, I think I, you know, thought that you were going insane. And most people listening to this obviously view everything about you through the prism of basketball. You know, so they're probably thinking like, oh, practice must have been tough or, you know, when you were struggling through a game, like what percentage of the the struggles that you went through or that an athlete in general goes through are sports specific and is other stuff that's off the court that no one ever even knows about. You know, no one ever even thinks of it. Yeah. It affects us on a daily basis. You know, like if my wife is mad at me, you know, it's going to affect like my day, you know, but no one, no one's doing a post game show after I work, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm curious, like, is it, is it mostly like basketball sports related stuff or is it a lot of other stuff that accumulates too? I'd probably say it's, it's 60, 40, 60% basketball related and 40% outside factors yeah and is it is it something where like guys on the team are comfortable talking with each other about that or do you feel like it's something that everybody kind of goes through on their own and doesn't really want to kind of reveal to each other um i mean well everybody handles things differently um but when i was at iu and our team a lot of guys leaned on leaned on other guys when um people were going through rough times you know what i mean and honestly every time we would Right after practice, we get in the locker room. We talk about practice for a few, and then after that, it was everything but basketball. You know what I mean? We talk about everything but basketball. So um, I've had a lot of help from guys, my teammates um, at IU, and I'm sure I've helped some other guys as well. That's awesome. It's good to know. So I want to go back. You know, one of the things we didn't get a chance to to talk about as much during uh, session one of this interview was just kind of getting to know you and your backstory. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, like, what was your childhood like? You know, like, are there any stories or anecdotes that kind of sum up what life was like for you growing up? Um, no, I mean, I, I grew up a little different. Um, you know, I was, I had two older brothers, but they were both in college for ball. Um, what's the age difference? Uh, nine years and 10 years. Nine and ten. That's the same difference I am with 
with my brother, who's nine years really? younger. Yeah, it's always it's mm-hmm. kind of like like he's my brother, but then I was always kind of like a half parent, half brother, you know. So it's yeah. kind of like we're still kind of like figuring out exactly what the relationship is going to be as we get older, you know. How how was that growing up with that age difference? Um, I mean, I it's, it's, it was almost like I was only child for a little bit, and um, like you said, you don't really get to see your brothers and hang out with your brothers that much. Um, or they're, they're, they're more of like a, a parent figure to you. And I mean, me, me and my brothers weren't that close at the time, but, um, thankfully recently we've gotten a lot, a lot more closer just because we've had time to like spend with each other, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, you get older, you've started to have some of the same life experiences. You can relate about more things. That's, that's the same way with me and my brother. He, like, we both had daughters, you know, and that was kind of something that now we can, we can relate about, you know? Um, yeah. When when did you start playing basketball? Uh, I was four years old. Four years old. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you remember like who who put the basketball in your hand for the first time? My dad. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And was he a basketball player too? Um. Yeah. I mean, not in any uh, major level or anything, but he played like in high school and stuff, and then he ended up being a coach after that. Oh, he did. What level did he coach at? Um. Just uh, high school. He started off coaching girls, girls basketball, um, high school, and then um, eventually switched over to boys. What were what were like his core basketball philosophies that he imparted on you? You know, like to him, what were the most important things that a basketball player should do or that a basketball player should be? Um, I think mainly just being an all around player. He's like, you don't want to be. It's good to be good at one thing, but you you want to be well rounded as a player. Did you guys, as you like got older, were you? I assume that you guys probably like you know played one on one and kind of battled it out like in the driveways and stuff. Do you remember the first time you ever beat him? <laughs> um, do I? Re- I don't remember. No, I was probably really young. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> were you okay? So were you really good from a young age? Like, did you just take to basketball naturally? I did. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I don't know. I was, I think I was just naturally a, a shooter when I, when I started playing. Hmm. So like growing up, like in rec leagues and, and in, you know, like the youth basketball leagues, were you always like the best player or the go-to guy? Yeah. Yep. Um, we had a, a league called NBAC and, um, I think my team won like every year for like four straight years. Wow. Wow. And then, and, you know, obviously we talked about last time, just, you know, kind of the, you know, what the basketball culture is like in New York City, you know, and everybody knows about just, you know, the, you know, playing in the Park League games. When did you start playing in those games and starting to start to go up against guys that were older than you to kind of test your skills out? Um, since probably since middle school. Yeah. Um, cause all of my friends, all my friends were older than me and they were, they were going to the park, you know, trying to play. And um, I would want to go with them and want to get picked up. But I was so little and so young, nobody wanted to pick me up. So that was just motivation to get better. And then the rest is history. Was there a moment or like a game, you know, when you finally did get picked up and you went out and played well? Because it's one thing to like do it against your peers. You know, it's like, okay, I can go beat these guys. But was there a moment when you went and did it against someone older or that you'd looked up to where you were like, whoa, like I'm, yeah. I might be pretty good. Yep. Um, I was in ninth grade playing. There was this guy named Kev 
short, bald dude, but super fast and uh, crazy handles. <laughs> and he used to kill me at, growing up. Like, and he wouldn't take no mercy on me. He'd blow by me and, and lay and then talk talk smack afterwards. <laughs> and then on eighth grade, I finally um, beat him. I gave him a run for his money, you know, and and uh, he gave me my props for that. But at that point, I knew I was okay. Now I can play with these older guys. Yeah. yeah. So did it like did it change your mentality? Like was there was it was it like a light switch kind of flipped on, or was it was it just, was it still a more gradual thing? Um, I mean, it was, it was pretty gradual, but it felt good. <laughs> yeah. Who were who were some of the best players that you played against when you were young? Like, was there anybody kind of growing up that was either you know kind of from you know from your area that came back to play that you know was like an NBA player, a guy that we would know, or or anybody like that? Um, I mean, in the in the AU circuit, I played against a lot of a lot of great players who are in the NBA now. Um, I think the toughest guy I've ever had to guard and play against is uh, Malik Monk. Oh man! But um, Aaron Fox gave us he he killed us too pretty bad. So those are probably the top two guys. Yeah. Which so that's interesting because both those guys obviously played at Kentucky, Darren Fox and Malik Monk. And you never got to play against Kentucky, which is, you know, one of the great Indiana rivalries. So many big moments have happened in the Indiana-Kentucky rivalry. The rivalry that you did get to play in was against Purdue. And, of course, we know that Indiana hasn't had a lot of success against Purdue uh, over the last few years. But I'm always curious, you know, your perspective as someone who's from out of state. What did the Indiana-Purdue rivalry mean to you? And at what point did you realize that it was bigger than a normal game um don't crucify me um <laughs> it's a safe space we won't do that <laughs> it meant absolutely nothing to me coming into college i knew that was our rival i didn't know how big or serious it was really um i mean i've watched you know the rivalry games growing up but it didn't really like mean anything personally to me but um well why would it i mean you know exactly but after getting to um, IU and, and seeing like how passionate guys were about the rivalry, I think that that kind of made it mean a little more something to me then. Now, when you say how passionate guys were, you mean guys in the locker room, your teammates, how passionate they were about yeah. it? Yeah. Yep. Um, teammates, even even like assistant coaches or you know strength coaches. Um, yeah, they'd get extra extra hyped. I, I remember Crean used to um, hang guys' faces all around the gym. Like a produce, produce guys, just to mess with us, and dudes just be ripping, ripping the posters off the wall and stuff as we go into practice. Hmm. So obviously, you know, you never beat Purdue during your time at Indiana. Why? What do you attribute that to? Was this just Purdue just had better teams? Was it there was some kind of way that you know you guys prepared for those games that didn't work out? Like why? Why do you think that happened? Um, well, I think my first year, Purdue, Purdue was really good. They were just really good. And we were down with injuries. I think if we would have had a full team, good game, but, um, that's what was my year. Sophomore year. I don't, I mean, even the rest of my years, I don't think they were necessarily better than us. Um, Uh uh-oh. We seem to be having connection issues. Hopefully, we get Devonte back. Let's see. There we go. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back now. 
Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Sorry. That's okay. Probably just a connection drop. It happens with Zoom. Yeah, but um, I mean, I think I, I didn't think they were better than us any of the years, really. But um, they just had better games than us those nights. Yeah. Who were the other teams that you really did get up to play? Was were there other? I mean, obviously, we talked about you know Michigan State. How you guys always gave them trouble. Do you can you pinpoint why? Because those teams were always really good Michigan State teams. Like, why were you able to? Because you beat them three times in a row, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we. I don't know. We would get. Uh, <laughs> you would think that was our rivalry game. Sometimes we would get super excited for that one, and um, even Archie, Archie would get excited for that one too. Um, more so, he, more so than the Purdue games. Like, was it a different excitement than the Purdue games? Um, yeah, I'd say so. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. You were going to talk about Archie, like his, how he reacted to the Michigan State games. Yeah, I think I think he. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think he he wanted to be Izzo really bad. That's what I think it was. I mean, hey, let's try and beat Matt Painter too. <laughs> let's beat them all, Arch. I mean, it. Yeah. I mean, the, you guys always. I swear, like a lot of times, it was like a different team, you know. So it does. It kind of makes sense. What? Okay, so how did that manifest itself? Like when Archie, when you could tell that Archie really wanted to beat another team, you know, like like you just described. How does that come out? Like, how is he different in a week of practice than just say a normal week? Um, it's a lot more up tempo. He's a lot more you know, animated in practice and um, won't, won't let us forget who we're playing coming up, you know? Hmm. You know, that reminds me, there was, so this was your junior year, I guess. When, yeah, this was junior year, I think, kind of in the midst of the the losing streak. We guys lost 12 out of 13. And you guys played at Minnesota. And they just, I mean, they just killed us in the second half. Um, and I remember... Archie talked about, I don't know if he talked about it right after that, but like a couple weeks after that kind of talked about, because you guys started to play better. Like, I think you came home, you, you still lost a few games, but obviously you won some games down the stretch. And he had talked about how that was like a real turning point and like kind of practice was different. And do you remember coming back from that game and what the reaction was? And if there was like some sort of big team meeting or like really harsh practice afterwards that kind of got everything going? Mm, no. I, I don't remember. Um, yeah, no, nah, I definitely don't remember. <laughs> were there were there any times like that 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 kind of happened with Archie, where there was like a, a specific game that he took especially hard, and then you know there was a real there was kind of like a line in this. I think that's what he said. It was like a line in the sand moment. Like, were there mm -hmm. any of those moments as you went through where it's just like, hey, we're not playing well. You know, you're either with me or, or you know or, or you're not. Let's go. And it was kind of like a rallying point for the team. Because we talked yeah. about that as fans, but I'm curious if that's actually what happened. Yeah, um, there was there was some moments like that. Um, you know, when when you start losing a couple back to back, you know, the locker room gets a little a little more quieter, the practices get a little less intense, and um, guys start feeling away. But we've had a couple of those moments where it's like, all right, if we don't turn it around now, then we're not going to be where we want to be, and. Um, I couldn't remember specific times, but there were definitely moments like that. Yeah. You know, we talked a lot in our first discussion about all the great moments, you know, that you had. Not all of them, but, you know, a lot of the great moments that you had as a player at IU. I'm curious for kind of the flip side. What was your what was your lowest moment as a player, either because of something individually or because of, you know, something going on with the team? 
Um, probably um during my suspension. That was probably mm-hmm. the lowest my whole career because um mentally it was just tough, you know. Um, yeah, I was I was going through it then, and and I knew my team needed me. It's, it's just it wasn't a good feeling at all, you know. But um, fortunately, I was able to bounce back from that, and uh, I think after that, I, I really just started playing better basketball. Honestly, yeah, like I, I talked about. Yeah, you played the best basketball of your career, the most the most consistent. Yeah. Did you? Was the suspension just like? Did you did you have an issue with the suspension, or was it was it legitimate in your eyes? Um, I'm kind of. 50 50 about it i know i was wrong but at the same time didn't think i deserve to be suspended so i mean but it is what it is now <laughs> i don't want to talk too much about it but yeah that's how i feel yeah no that makes sense that makes sense and you know like you said i mean you were able to turn it into a positive um yeah. because i think you know a lot of us saw what you did down the stretch and it was like hey this is the guy that you know that we've been seeing that we know is in there what like that i mean you know that was such a time of just consistent play i think you know you were getting four or five assists a game you know really just seemed so locked in um and you know your senior year you obviously had those moments but it wasn't quite as consistent as that what do you think was different about that stretch that that didn't maybe carry over into your senior year that or that you know that you hadn't seen previously? Like, what was it about that particular stretch that enabled you to play so well game after game after game? I think I was just locked in. I was super locked in and, and um, focused on what I wanted to do and, and what I wanted our team to do, you know? So I think that was that was why I had such a good stretch. And my senior year, um, it was, it was uh, how do I say this? <laughs> I, I, I was, I was expecting different. I was expecting, you know, it to be differently for me. So I let that get in my head too much before mm-hmm. I actually, there was a point though, my senior, I was like, all right, let me get back on this road and not worry about the factors I can't control. Cause at the end of the day, if you can't control it, you can only control what you can control, you know? In what ways did you expect it to be different? Um, well, I thought me and Archie got in a little bit more on the same page that year. Well, beginning of that year, at least. And um, we was going to have a little bit different style of play. And, um, I mean, I thought I was going to be a starter. And, I mean, I was just coming off an injury that, but I wasn't playing, like, super major minutes or anything. So, I think that affected me in the beginning. What is the conversation like where, so you're expecting to be a starter, but then you end up not being a starter. Is that a conversation that you have that Archie kind of sits you down and talks about why? Or is it just something where, like in practice, you're playing with the number twos and on game day you're not starting and you don't really know why? Like, how does that all come about? Well, yeah, we, we play every day in practice, like you said. I mean, like I told you last time. Yeah. And uh, we had the, you know, the gold standard uh, jersey and all that. And, I wouldn't go. To, I didn't go to him until um, a couple games in the season about asking about why I'm not starting or what what the issue is because um, in practice I was I was leading in the gold standard 
by like a huge margin <laughs> and I didn't understand. And eventually he, he basically told me, well, we need scoring off of the bench. We need um, a spark off of the bench. And basically I want you to be that guy. So eventually I just accepted that and was like, okay, well, then this is what I'm going to do. Then this is what I'm going to be. Then I'm just be the best at this. And your, your senior year was, okay, so you missed the first three games of your senior year. That was, you were dealing with injuries, right, for the first three games and then through part of practice? Yep, yep. How much do you think that affected things? Um, I, think it, I think it had an effect, for sure. Coming into the season hurt. Um, it's probably why I had to slowly, like my minutes weren't good in the beginning. Like I wasn't, I had to get into the, the rhythm of things, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's the injury part is tough because you you dealt with injuries at the beginning of that season. And then, if I recall correctly, the beginning of 2019, that's where both you and Rob were dealing with offseason injuries, right? In the yep. in the very beginning of the season. Yeah. Yep. Which kind of makes it tough to build, you know, kind of get a rhythm when the guys who are supposed to be your two leading ball handlers are, you know, are both dealing with injuries. Yeah. Yeah. How much does that happen where guys are dealing with injuries and, you know, I mean, in your case, like you miss some games because of it. And so it's kind of obvious, but like how much of a role do, especially as you go through the season, do just injuries and just kind of the, you know, the physical issues of playing in the big 10 night after night, like how, how much of a toll does that take on, on uh, you physically and mentally? Huge, I think it's a huge toll. Um, I mean, Physically, you're playing a game, you're playing probably two or three games a week, right? And you got practices in between. And um, they say, you know, after, once the season starts, you're never 100% again. Like, no matter what you do, you're never back at 100%. So you're playing the season fatigued pretty much most of the season. Yeah. And do you, looking back on it, you know, now that you know, now that you've got this diagnosis with the, with the type 1, and based on what you've learned about that and how it affects your body, and you mentioned this a little bit last time, but I wanted to get a little more clarity on it. Like how, how much do you think that impacted, you know, either your, like your energy levels, your physical uh, you know, ability to withstand that? Like how much do you think that actually impacted you, you know, going back into your, into your college years? Um, it probably had a huge impact, especially on my injuries. Um, doctor told me it was, the direct cause for my calf, I had calf strains mm. before out. And he said, that was definitely the reason why. So who knows how long, you know, I've had it and how long I've been playing with it and dealing with that stuff. But I think it's definitely had an effect on my body. I was talking, I was talking to my wife about our interview and she was always a big fan of yours. Cause she loved guys that played with flair and, you know, could actually <laughs> shoot. She would get so mad walking into games and seeing us miss free throws that she would just like, she would walk out sometimes be like, I can't watch this anymore. But she always liked it when you were shooting free throws because she thought you would make them. Um, so I was telling her about it and she was like, you know, her, her reaction was, why didn't they figure it out when he was at IU? You know, like, do you, is that something that you think could, like in hindsight, could have or should have, like, is there a symptom you could have described differently that you're like, man, if I'd only said that, they might've caught it or if only this test had been run. Like, do you, do you have any regret about either you or someone else not catching that or realizing, Hey, there might be a deeper issue going on here. That's causing these calf issues or causing these other issues. Yeah. Um, I mean, I blame myself mostly because 
it's my body. You know, I know my body best. But um, I would, I would, my body, my calves have been tight for a long, long time now, and I think that's a reason for it. I, instead of trying to work on um, fixing them, I guess, then I could have been like, maybe something's wrong. You know, maybe it's maybe we should get some blood work done, and then we could have caught it then. Yeah. Well, good you caught it now, and you know, obviously you know, be able to fix that, manage it, not fix it, but manage it and and still be able to play. So let me switch gears a little bit here. There are four guys that are still on the team that you played with. Rob Finnessy, Jerome Hunter, Race Thompson, Trace Jackson Davis. You know, now Indiana's kind of going into this new era, a new coach. He's talking about, hey, we're going to play more, you know, four out, one in, kind of a more wide open style. You know, this NBA coach, uh, which again, we all would have loved to see you uh, play in. Um, out of those four guys, who do you think is going to thrive the most in a new system like this? Um, can I pick two? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jerome and Race for sure. Interesting. Um, I think Jerome. Jerome just has, you know, he has a he has a good body. He has like length. Um, and he has, he's 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 a good shooter. You know. I've I've played. I don't know what he shot this year. I don't know how good he shot this year, but I know he's a good shooter. And working with a coach like that, he'll only get better, and he'll he'll probably thrive in that system. And race, also being a guy who he had a good year this year, um, he can also shoot it too. So if if Coach Woodson, you know, gets him get a lot of reps of shooting with him and, and gives him the green to shoot, then I think he'll thrive too. So that's interesting because, you know, we've talked a lot about race and how much it would open things up if he could step out and make shots, you know, playing the four man and give Trace mm-hmm. some more space. So you're telling us, because he's shown kind of, you know, the ability and little flash of it. You're telling us he can. He can step out and make those shots. Race can definitely make that shot, yeah. Is it, ju- is it just a confidence thing? Um, Probably, yeah. A lot of guys, I mean, it's always been an issue with our shooting, in my opinion. Um, a lot of guys are scared to shoot it. Um, you know, they don't want to hear, hear anything about it. Yeah. Well, hopefully the, it definitely sounds like Mike Woodson is going to be open to let's let it fly. Cause he was certainly like that when he was coaching with the Knicks. So yep, exactly. hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit more like that. Um, okay. So I want to get, I want to do a few just like best ofs of guys that you played with and you can okay. answer, you can answer yourself if you want to, cause you might think that you're the best among these guys. Cause you said last time. Uh, that Juwan Morgan had the best hands of anybody that you played with, which kind of, yep. which kind of made me curious. So who, okay. So who's just like the best player, hands down, the best player overall that you played with? Best player. Hmm. Probably OG. He's, he's all around, you know, he can shoot it. He can, he can defend really well. He can drive to the basket. So I'd say OG. Man. I feel like we were robbed his senior year of seeing what he could have done because he <laughs> he showed these flashes as a freshman and then you saw it at the start of the sophomore year and then it felt like kind of as soon as he got into his groove he got hurt. Yeah, yeah, I think it hurt our team tremendously, honestly. Well, okay, so what's your best OG story? Because OG is hilarious, and I don't know if he tries to be hilarious or like. Here's what I can never tell about OG because he's like. You know, when he's talking to the media, he gives these real short answers. Mm-hmm. And like having not like been around the team, 
I can never tell if that's just him or if he's kind of like trolling the media because it's the media asking him questions. So is that actually him or is he kind of, does he try, is that a persona that he tries to create for the media? No, no, that's definitely OG 100%. <laughs> um, I don't think he likes the media that much. So I think that's why his answers are like that, but that's, that's how he is. Yeah. What do you have like a favorite story? Like when I say OG, you know, like what, what immediately flashes to mind? Is there like a memory on court or off court of him that you think about? Um, no, not a specific memory. Me, me and OG are close. We're pretty cool. Um, we've had ups and downs for sure, but that's my guy. So, I mean, I have, I have bunches of stories, but um, none specifically that I can, you know, say right now. Are you, I mean, I'm, you're probably not surprised at all. But, I mean, what have you thought watching his development in the NBA? Because he just gets better every single season. I assume you're not surprised yeah. by that. I mean, no, I'm not surprised because his ceiling is is to the sky, you know. But um, I've been super proud of how, how much he's grown as a player, like, in such a short period of time. And um, where he's at, I'm really, really proud of him. What is it? Like, I mean, obviously the athletic ability stands out. Like, that's obvious to anybody. That's why he was recruited, even though he was like the 250th ranked player. But what else is it about him that kind of makes him special that has allowed him to just to grow like this? Um, his work ethic. You know, he, he um, is constantly trying to improve different areas of his game, which I think is really important. And I think that's why he's so successful now. Did he ever guard you in practice? Yes. <laughs> what, what, what was that like? <laughs> At our, we've had our, uh, we've had our battles for sure. He's probably one of the best defenders I've had to go against for sure. <clears throat> he won't tell you. One time in open gym, um, I dunked on him, but he'll never admit it. So, want to put that that you dunked on OG? Whoa, I did. Okay, okay, but you gotta you're gonna have to describe that. Was this like? A fast break? Was it half court and you just like drove down the lane? Like how'd that come about? It was an open gym. Um uh, we had a guy on a visit. It was Tremont Waters, actually. He was on a visit guarding me. I was on the left wing, I pump fake, and he jumps forward. I go by him, and OG comes from the help side, opposite block, and like kind of jumps. He could he jumps by, but I go, I jumped on one foot, got to the rim before him and, and dunked it. And I was like, did I dunk on him? Everybody was like, yeah, okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure. He's like, he didn't dunk on me. But, yeah, I got you, OG. <laughs> <laughs> you got him. That is awesome. So, okay, so that brings up an interesting point. So you talk about guys coming in on recruiting visits. What is that process like where, you know, because guys come in and, you know, typically they're set up with a host, you know, kind of a player that they're kind of with and you show them around can you describe that process a little bit and what it's like, you know, to, to kind of be on the host side of that when you got kind of a highly regarded player who's, who's coming in and, and specifically like what kind of guidance are you given? Cause obviously the coaches, they're bringing this recruit in cause they want to get him, you know? So yep. what kind of guidance are they giving you for how to make that an experience that's going to help get this guy to commit? Well, I've never been a host in my entire career. <laughs> so I can't tell you directly what it's like being a host. But um, they they would want you obviously. There's different kinds of guys coming in all the time. So he, um, I know Arch used to always like make sure he's he's like one of our guys, you know. 
And um, of course, we, they, they see the, the tradition and the, the history, but they want to know what, what, what it's really like being a student athlete at IU. And um, for me, me Uh-oh. I want them to know exactly what they're walking into. I'm kind of out. You cut out a little bit, but now, now you're back. So you said, I'm back. Yeah, you said something. You cut out, and then you were like, you want them to know exactly what they were coming into. Yeah, for me, I, I always want to just tell them 100% the truth and, and be very upfront and realistic about what it's like, you know, because I don't want them to walk in blind and be like, oh, like this is what, because that's kind of how I walked in, you know. So um, for me, that's what it's like. But I've never actually been a host. So, um, other guys have usually like you know they take them around and and show them what it's like maybe that's why they didn't want you to be a host <laughs> maybe they maybe they maybe they didn't want to know they didn't. <laughs> um so what is it like okay so a guy like Tremont Waters comes in right you know use him as an example he's like this highly regarded you know guard recruit who's you know going to come in and play the same position as you what is that like? Is your mentality like, hey, bring it on. Let's bring in as many players. Let's get, you know, as good a roster as possible and, you know, compete for playing time? Or are you looking at that like, who's this guy they're trying to bring in and play that plays my position? Like, what is that mentality like? Honestly, it's a little bit of both because, you know, if we get this guy, our team is going to be better. But at the same time, we're going to be competing for the same position. But um, me personally, I have no problem competing for the, like, you know what I mean? I have no problem competing for, for the position. So, <clears throat> I mean, I look forward to it. If guys were coming in at my position and uh, see what they're really about, that was my thing. Like, all right, let's see, but let's see uh, what you're really about then. But um, I know other guys, it's probably not the same. Some guys see it as like a threat, like yeah, what who's this guy they're bringing in for me? You know what I mean? So is it is it pretty regular that when the guys come in that you that you play open gyms and get to get out on the court with them with the recruits? Yeah, yeah. Every pretty much every every recruit we play with. Is that a is that a very welcoming experience or is that a I want to kick this kid's ass type experience? <laughs> uh, depends. Depends. <laughs> For me, <laughs> it's always a I want to kick this guy's ass experience. <laughs> but um, we we have to like. You know, try to. Well, we get we give them the ball a lot. You know, we give them a lot of shots, so you know they feel comfortable playing. And we and we, we want to see what what their game is about. You know, so I think it's it's more of that. Like just want to see how they play and how they gel with us. All right. So I don't want to put you in an awkward position. So feel free to answer this question without naming names. But okay. were there ever or name names if you want to? It's totally up to you. But. Were there ever experiences where you played in those open gyms and like you knew that it was like this highly regarded recruit and you guys are kind of talking afterwards like that guy <laughs> such is a big deal? Or maybe another time where there's like kind of an underrated guy and you're playing him and you're like, whoa, that guy is good. Um, yeah, no, that's happened a lot of times. <laughs> a lot of guys that come in and you're like, Oh, that's the five star. Oh, nice. But um yeah, I've never really seen it the other way around. Because usually we only bring in, like, you know, high-rated guys. But, I mean, also, with that being said, there were guys who, who lived up to the name. Like, oh, okay, like, I see why he's rated high. You know, like, he's going to be really good. So. Is there, okay, can you na name a name on on that? Because that, you're not putting a guy down there. Like, who's somebody that kind of came in, whether Indiana got him or not, 
you know, and you're like, okay, I see it. And then he's gone on to be like really good. Yeah. Um, I forgot the kid's name. Um, Indiana kid with, with like a dread, like dreads. What's his name? He did. I think he ended up going to Kentucky. Indiana kid with, Oh, Keon Brooks. Yes. Yes. He came for a visit and, um, I was like, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be good. You can tell. Hmm. What is it like, what is it typically about a young player in a situation like that that tells you they're going to be good or not? Is it a mentality thing? Because a lot of those guys come in and they're not going to be as strong as you, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, we saw that with, with Christian Lander last year who, you know, came in this really talented kid, but just wasn't quite ready for the physical aspects of the game, even the mental aspects of the game, because he was classifying up. But mm-hmm. what is it typically that you see? Is it that the skills aren't what you thought? That like mentally they're not quite what you thought? You know, even kind of adjusting for the fact that they're not going to be as physically developed as you are. Yeah, uh, I mean, some kids, some kids get rated really high off straight athleticism. So sometimes you'll see them, and if they're not using their athleticism, they're like, oh, oh like is this the kid that's rated like high? Because you don't see it, you know. Um, and some kids are just really skilled or have a high IQ of the game. And that's why they're rated high. And you can tell the difference of who has that IQ and um, just the skill set to, to improve. You know, you can, you can see the potential of, of a player as soon as they play. Hmm. Okay. All right. So you said OG for best player. Who's the best shooter that you played with? At um, Evan Fitzner, which probably most people won't believe <laughs> there are a lot of people whose eyes just went open real yeah. wide <laughs> struggled shooting um during the season but i've never seen somebody hit so many threes <laughs> evan. evan was a sharp shooter and i know he didn't really broadcast it all the time and struggled but in practice he would run it up wow Okay, so that makes me feel a little bit better, though. So those of us who thought, like, this guy is going to come in and really add to the shooting and we're kind of waiting for it to happen, we weren't just waiting in vain. There were things that you could see, like, that gave you hope that this would really happen. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, same thing. Is it just a confidence thing with him? Because, I mean, he had played at St. Mary's, which is, it's not the Big Ten, but it's pretty high level and been a good shooter. Like, what was different at Indiana? I think it would, honestly, I think it would be, like, the environment, the atmosphere, just playing at a, a much like higher level with much better intensity, you know, um, and confidence. Eventually when he started missing, I think he would get in his own head and he just, you know, you, you can go down a, a bad road once you get in your head as a shooter. Man, you know, all it seems like all these IU basketball conversations, all roads lead back to shooting, you know, and all shooting conversations lead back to confidence. We talked a lot about on our show about, you know, because – did you get to work with Tim Buckley? Tim Buckley was there for a year when you Did. were what? Okay. So he was kind of known as a guy who worked with people on their shots and could help, you know, fix people's shots, like a shot doctor type guy. What yeah. did you get a chance to work with him and kind of see what made him really good as a shot development type guy? I did. Yeah. Um, there was a point in the season, my freshman year where, um, I would come in every day early to work with him on my shot. And, um, yeah, he, he, he's good. He knows his stuff, and I think he helped me a lot with my shot. And there wasn't anybody like that on the subsequent staff under Archie that, that would do that? No, no. We had, um, I mean, we had Schilling, uh, Coach Schilling, but he was 
ball handling. He was a ball handle coach, but we didn't really have any shooting coaches, no. So, you know, because one of the things we've talked about is like, you know, why doesn't either when you're choosing an assistant position or kind of bring in someone external, bring in like a shooting coach? Because NBA guys, it happens all the time. As Do you know, like, has Danny worked with, because I think the Spurs had like a renowned shooting coach, right? If I'm, if I remember yeah. correctly. That's in the business, apparently. Yeah. Like, and did, yeah, Danny, Danny, when he was with the Spurs, um, he said he helped him a lot. He, he taught me some of the things that he learned from him. And uh, he said he he's probably the reason he's such a great shooter today, like had the career he had at, at Spurs too. Like, like if they had brought in somebody, you know, either in the off season or something and was just like, Hey, look, DeMonte, you're a good shooter. I want to make you a great shooter, but I know you've been shooting this way for 20 years, but we want to make this tweak. Like, is that the kind of thing that mm-hmm. you would have been hungry for and liked? And is that the thing that, that you think could have helped kind of build guys confidence or is that kind of stuff overrated? Um, have a 50, 50 with that, with that too. Cause for one, I'm one of the guys who like, um, you shoot the way you shoot, you know? I mean, your form can use a little tweaking probably here and there, but for the most part, you shoot the way you shoot. And um, it has to be comfortable for you, you know, unless you're just like a, a terrible shooter, you need your whole shot, you know, re- reworked. But for the most part, I think you should just, you keep your shot, but it's all about reps, you know, and, and um, what they call muscle memory. But confidence, as far as confidence, is it's it's hard to give yourself confidence for for a lot of people, you know. So you need someone like a coach who would give you that confidence. It's all about you know making someone feel like okay, yeah, no, I can make that shot, and I can take it every time I take like next time I take it, it's gonna go in. That's to be your mentality every time you shoot for a shooter at least. And um, I don't think everybody, I don't think we had that. That's why I think confidence was an issue. All right, so this is this is the number one thing that has never made sense to me about the Archie Miller era. And we touched on it a little bit, but I think this is an even more important point. You talked about how important it was that he played the game and could re, you know relate with a guard and you know teach you how to see things. But mm-hmm. he was a shooter, you know? Yep. So I don't I've never understood how he was a shooter and clearly probably a guy who didn't want anybody telling him what was a good shot and what was a bad shot because he was probably going to take them because that's how you know shooters are. I don't understand how he either didn't get that or wasn't better about instilling confidence, or even if it's not instilling confidence, just don't yank it away. Like, don't yeah. kill confidence. Like, how can you make that make sense at all? I, I would wonder the same thing at times. Um, and I, I know he played in a different era, but as a guard and a shooter, you, there's just certain things you should understand, you know, but I don't know, maybe it's, it's been a long time separated since being a player. And um, I mean, let's be honest, being a, a head coach at a big 10 school was it's a very stressful job. So I think a lot of the stress was getting to him and um, that, that, you know, caused some of his ways to drift away. Yeah. Could you tell that like his, as seasons kind of struggled, like would it be different from how he was at the beginning of the season when everything is fresh and optimistic, and then later in the season when you're fighting for a, an NCAA tournament spot? Like was he was he a guy where you could really see the difference? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, that that explains it some. All right, so Juwan has the best hands. OG's the best player. Evan Fitzner's the best shooter. Who was the best leader that you played with? Mm. 
That's a good one. Um, I want to say Colin Hartman because even when he wasn't playing, when he was hurt or getting limited minutes, he still would make it a point of emphasis to, you know, I still got to try and lead these guys in the right direction. So, I mean, his effort as a leader was, was, you know, amazing. And, um, I think it, it helped a lot of guys, not me specifically, but I know a lot of other guys were, you know, needed that. Do you think one of the things that Tom Crean talked about a lot, his definitely his last year, um, he talked about it other times during his tenure too, was how important it was to have internal leadership on the team. And I think it was his last season that he harped on it a lot. Like, you know, we don't, there's not enough internal leadership, yada, yada. And obviously it came up at times with Archie too. From being inside in the locker room, one of the players, did you feel like internal leadership among players was a problem? Or was that a crutch that was used in the media to explain teams that perform, whose performance went up and down? Um, a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, there's some times we, we struggled, we needed a leader. Um, and it, it was like, well, who, who's going to, who's going to be the one to step up, you know? And, um, at other times I feel like maybe it was just a, a crutch, like you said. What makes a good leader on a college basketball team? You know, and, and, and do you think that's something that can be developed or do you think that there's certain personality traits a guy has to have? to be able to kind of speak with authority and have the other players actually pay attention to him? Um, I think it's, it's hard to something that you can just like, you know, develop on your own. I think, um, most of the good leaders are, are, it's like they're born with it. Like it's already inside of them, you know? And for me, what makes a great leader is, um, someone who, who can vocalize, um, criticism, without sounding like they're, you know, like trying to come at you. That's one. And two, um, doing it themselves. Leading by example is the best form of leading, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you, like the vocal part of leadership, do you think that's underrated in a sports context? Because like sometimes also you need a leader who, with 10 seconds left on the shot clock in a close game, is able to just like either get somebody a bucket or go get a bucket for themselves. You know, like there's different kinds of leadership and actually that a lot of that ended up falling on you as a junior and a senior. Um, you know, like, can you be, and you talked about the role Colin Hartman played as a leader, but he also was, you know, especially by that point in his career was more of a role player. Yep. Like are the best players on a team leaders, whether they want to be or not, I guess is my question. Yes, they are whether they know it or not, or whether they want to be or not, they are leaders because this guy is watching them, everything they do, you know, so they have to lead by example. Yeah. All right. So Colin Hartman's the best leader. Who's the best dunker? Oof. It's gotta be either Freddie McSwain or Justin Smith. (laughs) Jews. That's pretty tough between the two of them. What, um, what, what was it like watching Justin? at Arkansas play this year? I was so happy for Justin this year. Um, I can't even, I can't even express how happy I am for him. He's, I mean, Justin has always been a player with great potential, you know, and um, I don't think Indiana was the right fit for his style of play, but 
um, to see him go on to another school and be successful makes me really happy. Did it at all make you wonder, you know, kind of what it would have been like for you or for other guys who had been in a certain system, playing a certain way, having the same struggles game after game after game, and then to see him go into that system and flourish? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, I've, I've thought about, I've thought about leaving countless a number of times, you know, um, like as a, just as a student, every student athlete has though, like at some point in their career. But, um, yeah, I wonder about that all the time. I've seen guys going though and not, and not do good as well. So I've seen both sides of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you, if you could go back and do your recruitment over again, you know, knowing what you know now, but back as 17, 18 year old Devante, how would you approach that differently? And do you think that you would have ended up committing to Tom Crean at Indiana? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know if I would have or not. Um, but I would have asked a lot, a lot of different questions, a lot more, you know, specific questions that I would want to know now that I've been through, been through it all. And, um, I don't know. I would have went on more visits. I didn't go on enough visits my senior year um, or me my junior year. And um, I think that's that's the biggest reason I ended up going with IU because I've only been on like three visits maybe. And Coach Cream was by far the one who stood out to me the most. So, Man, that's such an interesting answer, you know, that you would have asked more questions you know, it, it feels like it feels like there should be a, a you know a way to kind of help athletes who are in that position as juniors and seniors figure out the the right questions to ask. Like, do a lot of athletes have that support? Is that you know something that you know that you you kind of wish you could have gotten? And is you know is there a way that you can like help you know the future guys coming up know what questions to ask? Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't you don't know unless you have someone in your corner who's been through it already. You know, like, so now, like, I can tell my little brother, like, what questions to ask when he goes on a visit and thinks he's going to want to know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, who is the best passer? Best passer. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I said, I don't know. My, me. I say me. do you remember i think it was i looked for this highlight and i couldn't find it i think it was the iowa game at iowa i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure this was you and i think you made a i think well no i think you made a pass i think it was a post feed to duran like from the top of the key where there was like no angle and you like spun it in like a certain way to get it to him do you remember that pass yeah yep i mean that you know that that's one of those where it's just like this guy just kind of sees the game in a different way and kind of make, and will try passes that no one else, that no one else will try. What I'm, I'm I'm curious what the reaction to that one was. Obviously it worked out. So I'm sure everybody was happy, but was, was there any like, Hey, like, like, okay. So if you made a pass like that and it was successful, but it was risky, was it, was it like a Devante great play or was there kind of a uh, good thing that, that, uh, that you completed that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sometimes it'd be both. Sometimes um, it's like, wow, like I can't even believe that pass got through. But usually when it, when it completes, you know, it's, there's nothing to be said because what can you say it got through? 
but yeah, I was definitely one of those risky. I would take I would take risks with passes for sure, and it probably caused me a bunch of my turnovers. But like I said, it takes risks sometimes to to make a great play. And um, as far as that pass with Duran, Duran used to always tell the new bigs coming in like this guy right here, he's gonna put some spin on that ball when he feeds you in the post. So you just got to be ready to catch it because some some guys would just hit the hand and bounce right off, you know. Do you think we ever got to really see the real Duran at IU as a player? No. No, I think we've seen flashes of him um, in some games and then um, before his injury. And then um, I don't, after that, it was, I don't think we, we've gotten a fair even chance to see Duran really. Yeah. He, man, he just had so much skill. So much skill, you know. One of those. It would have been great to see a full, a full four years with him healthy, because mm-hmm. I think we would have gotten a lot more, a lot more production. All right. So, best ball handler. I have a feeling who you're going to answer for this one. Me. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the, I think the evidence backs you up on that one. Um, all right. So, is there, you know, and I know you didn't grow up like watching Indiana basketball. Um, you know, or like being a huge fan of Indiana basketball, but is there a guy from IU history that you wish you could have gotten to play with? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, probably Vic, Vic and Cody. That would have, that would have been really fun. Well, that, that team could have used a shooter too. So I kind of wish that we could have made that happen. (laughs) (laughs) What um you know something that's been talked about a lot and it, it was talked about you know every time that that there's a coaching change is it's like hey you know we want to bring in an IU guy because we want to kind of bring the family back together you know have the old players come back internally for you like did it feel like Indiana basketball was a family would guys come back like did you feel you know kind of like you know I mean your brother played at North Carolina which is like the ultimate family atmosphere of basketball because that's all they hire internally it's like the Carolina family. Indiana obviously hasn't had that from the outside, but I'm curious how it felt to you on the inside. Um, I would say, yeah, it's a family. I, I think so. Cause guys who I've, I've never met, um, would come back and, you know, treat us and talk to us like, like we were family. Cause they knew they were in our shoes and in our seats at one point. So, um, and I've gotten to meet and, um, talk to some, some real knowledgeable people, <clears throat> because of it. So I think it's a family because a lot, I mean, a lot of guys come, they do come back and they do visit and, you know, come talk to us. So do you think more, do you think more could have been done there? Or do you think that you got, you got enough of that for yourself or was there like, do you think it could have helped if, you know, if there had been more of that and maybe even like something organized where you've got like, you know, like you're set up with like a mentor who's a past player. Like, is there more that could help there? Um, I mean, no, I, I think they do a pretty good job. I think um, because they do have pretty much every year I've been there, they've had at least two guys come come back, you know, and talk to us or or something like that. So, I mean, I think I think it's pretty good. Yeah. What about the traditions? You know, again, you know, coming at this, I'm always interested to ask guys who don't come from the perspective of growing up in Indiana, you know, and believing from birth that like the candy stripe pants are sacred and that it's like sacrilegious to put names on the back of the jerseys. What traditions at IU like came to really mean something to you over your four years there? And which traditions do you look at and you're like, why do you people care so much about this? <laughs> um, 
I can't say any traditions have really come to us like, um, you know, I really like this or I can really see why this is such a great tradition because, um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I come from a different place. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I don't understand <laughs> why the big baggy candy stripe pants are so important. <laughs> or even like we can keep the candy stripes. I understand. But it, new pants. I'm still wearing the same pants that the guys wore in the 80s. I wore like a 2X. Wait, they're the pants. same? They're the same pants? They're the same pants. <laughs> the same pants. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. All, yeah. <laughs> I figured and, you. And it's, so, even so, before, like, our locker room was updated and stuff. Like, we had old wooden, the same old wooden lockers that they had back then. And um, the stadium is the same, the same seats. But I mean, I understand it's a, it's a big tradition, traditional place. But I mean, I didn't really like take on any of them. Like, oh yeah, like this is a great tradition, you know. That's it. I mean, that's really interesting, um, and I appreciate you being candid about it because it's probably not easy to be candid about it. But I'm glad that you are, and I think some of us old timers need to have that perspective a little bit. <laughs> actually, um, I did not realize that it's the same candy stripe pants. So you don't get like your own pair to keep and like take with you. I mean, it's probably not the same exact ones from the '80s, but I'm pretty sure these are these are some old pants <laughs> that they were. And they do give you some to leave. But I don't know if it's the exact same ones, you know, that they that they've been using. So, hmm. I mean, what you know? So we've talked a lot this off season about you know how do you modernize Indiana basketball? Because I think your description there is so apt for what we've all kind of felt like Indiana basketball has become a little bit, where it's like. Wearing pants from the eighties is actually a great metaphor for it, you know, and the wooden locker room, you know, the locker room has been updated and they're doing more stuff on social media now and hope, you know, mm-hmm. going to bring in this NBA offense and like, they're really trying. It's clearly, you know, Scott Dolson is like making this an initiative. If they came to you and were just like, Devante, what do we need to do to make Indiana cool? What do we need to do to make Indiana appeal, you know, to guys from the East coast or to appeal yeah. to a more national stage? Obviously, winning is one. We know that. You got to win. That's the most important thing. What other advice would you give from your perspective? Um, I would have done the same thing. Uh, we need a new a new strategy of playing. We need to play like it's 2021 instead of like the 90s. That would have been another one. Um, they already updated the locker room. And I think that's got that's gotten us a lot more recruits, honestly, because if they would have came and seen that other beat-up locker room that we used to have, they and then they walk to another school and see their locker room is like brand new. Then like, oh, well, I'm probably gonna come. Like, you know, it's probably easier decision. But um, oh no, we lost Devante. Hopefully, he pops back on here. Uh, his camera just popped off. I know he's got to leave in a couple of minutes. There's one more question that I want to ask him. So hopefully, he comes back on. But uh, that's such interesting perspective, and I really am glad that he was candid on that because. It's good to get the player's perspective, you know, to us, like walking around the old locker room where Scott May got dressed and where Steve Alford got dressed and where Calvert Chaney got dressed is, you know, it's like the the greatest thing in the world. But, you know, to a young guy that didn't grow up with that, there there are ways to build that in. Like, I do think it's cool, you know, if you have, you know, the nameplates on the locker of like the old the old players who were there, the old players who had your number, like whatever you want to do to remind a young player that you're part of a greater whole, but you don't have to like, you know, keep an old locker room to do it. I know we updated the locker room, so that's probably a bad example, you know, but 
it's either way, you know, it certainly seems like Indiana is on the path now to, to modernizing and to doing some of this stuff. Um, and it seems like it, it made a difference as Devonte said right there before he got cut off, um, you know, <laughs> probably did or might have, you know, lost some recruits because of that, uh, you know, from coming in and looking at that and being like, you know, Hey, that's, this isn't as nice as what I'm seeing over here. Um, all right, bringing Devontae back. Let's see if we got him here. Are you back? Can you hear me? Yep. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no problem, man. And hey, and I know, I know you have to go in just a couple of minutes. Um, but I, I really, really appreciate your candor on that question. Names on the back of the jerseys. Does that make a difference? Do you care about that? Yes. Yes, that was the next thing I was going to say. Um, guys, guys like that. You know, that's just. It's just what guys like. And also the social media thing, like you said, they're doing a lot more with the media and, um, you know, giving guys shout out. That's, that's what young, this generation, that's, that's what, you know, is attractive to them. Yeah. All right. So last question before you get out of here, I'm curious what, what you want to do. You know, like, I know you want to play basketball. I know you want to get to the NBA. Um, but whenever basketball runs its course, like what, what do you want to get into? What what are what are kind of some of your dreams, goals beyond basketball? Um, it's a good question. Um, I mean, honestly, I just want to <clears throat> help the the younger me's. You know, like the kids I see playing in the park, and um, I mean, eventually, my plan was um to open up my own recreational facility, and you know, host tournaments there, and do that because that's how I grew up. Those, those were the best places for me as a kid, you know? Well, I tell you what, man, you know, I know that your time at IU had its ups and downs, um, you know, but there's something special about a guy who comes to Indiana, whether it's in state or out of state, you know, and gives you four years like you did of blood, sweat, and tears, even if it didn't go as well as you would have wanted, or we would have wanted. Um, you know, I know you said, you know, you, you felt more love from fans than you felt the negative stuff. Um, but you know, that's one thing I think as IU fans, we kind of pride ourselves on is that, you know, when a guy gives us four years, you know, we're going to try to give back as much as we can. So I, I hope that, you know, once your career is done and if you do that, which I think is such a noble cause, you know, come back and let us know. Cause I think there'd be a lot of IU fans who would want to help you out with something like that. Um, and you've earned it cause you, you gave us all a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of effort went through a lot. Um, and we all appreciate it. So for sure. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, man. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, who knows? Maybe at some point we'll do a uh, we'll do a part three. But this was this yeah, was really fun, yeah. man. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate your time. Thanks. No, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Devontae. All right. Bye. Cool. Take care, man. All right. Devontae Green. <clears throat> part two in the books. Um Really appreciate him giving us that time. Hopefully, you know, over these two parts, we got to all the questions that that you would have wanted me to ask. I know there were, you know, there were a couple people on uh, on Twitter that you know asked, why didn't you ask him about the tweet that he sent out after Archie was fired? And I don't even remember what it was. I remember he sent out like a tweet, um, something. I don't even remember. I don't even want to try and paraphrase it because I don't remember it. But it was obviously taken as like, you know, this is kind of meant at Archie. Um, I don't know. Didn't seem doesn't that just doesn't seem like a a, a really useful question to ask because I don't know what kind of answer you're going to get. And I think he was extremely candid about his whole relationship with Archie. So that that's kind of what matters to me. Um, so that's why I didn't ask that question. But 
man, I just had a lot of fun talking to him. Um, a lot of fun talking to him. And, uh, you know, wish him the best. Wish him the best. I, I, I you know, I know I'm probably in the minority on this, but I am not going to be shocked uh, if we see him in an NBA game at some point. Um, you know, whether, you know, he has what it takes to become a, con- a consistent NBA player, I don't know. But his ability to shoot, I think the fact that his game more fits that style, you know, as long as, as the, the health issues that he's dealing with, which are obviously serious but manageable, other guys have done it, um, I'm not going to be surprised to see him in the G League. And if he gets in the G League and gets hot, <laughs> you know, what team isn't going to look at that and be like, oh, this guy can make eight threes in a game? Yeah, I think we can all use a microwave score off the bench. So I don't know if it's probable. I'm just saying I won't be shocked. Uh, and I think that, and I actually think there's probably more people that will agree with that than will disagree with that, at least as it, it being a possibility, which I think is ultimately the frustration that we all bring to kind of thinking about Devontae's career, you know, and wishing that those final seven, eight games of his junior season could have been more indicative of the whole thing. But I'm glad that we kind of got the stories for why, you know, why everything happened during his time at IU. So, uh, you know, and I appreciate these opportunities to talk with players like him. I would love it if we got the chance to do it more with current players. I do think it would make a big difference. I don't think you're going to get candor from a current player like you get from Devontae because now he's in the locker room. He's not playing for that coach anymore, so there's a difference there. But also, the interview would be different. I would be asking him different questions and just getting to know the guy more as a person, not so much the basketball stuff. And I've, I've expressed that to, to you, that I would love to do player interviews like that, where it's... And I'll give... Like, I don't care. I, I, you can put preconditions on the questions for me. You can listen to the audio back before you want to play it. I get that coaches are going to be nervous about that happening and a player may be saying something that could be taken the wrong way, either in the locker room or for bulletin board material, whatever. Like I would have no problem with that, but let's just, you know, give, let's get to know the guys better. And so maybe it doesn't need to be on a podcast interview, but I do think there's just more of an intimacy that you can get in a conversation like this, as opposed to just on a podium with, you know, media guys. It's, it's seen, it's just the whole setup of that is more adversarial, you know, where this is more conversational and friendly. That's all we want. I don't. I have no desire to catch a player in a gotcha moment or lead them into a question where they're going to say something. I don't care. You know what's that going to do? Go viral and get people from other teams listening to the show. I don't give a damn if anybody who's not an IU fan listens to the show, and no IU fan is going to want to listen to a player say something that's going to, you know, cause problems in the locker room or get them in trouble. So that's not how we would serve this audience anyway. So. I would let, I'm going to, you know, who knows if it'll ever happen, you know, and, and coaches are paranoid for a reason. So I, I get it from the flip side. I don't know if I would want to do it as a coach. You know, I think you'd have to really build trust with the person that was interviewing them. And maybe it's something Don Fisher could do, you know, but I would love it, man. Cause I just think these opportunities to get to know guys from 360 degrees, you know, figure out who they are as, as people and just talk to them, get to know their personalities. I just think it's invaluable. And I think it would help them connect better with fans. And just like Scotchy said in that tweet, you know, you're probably going to think twice about firing off a tweet with a guy and tagging his name in it if you feel like you really know him, <laughs> you know? So anyway, I'll, I promise you I will be beating that drum until the day that I hang up this microphone. Um, but I believe it. My thanks to Devontae Green. My thanks to you all for listening to this. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and let's get a little music here. 
There we go. A little music to do our outro. Uh, we're going to have an interview with Brian Evans coming up. I don't know exactly when we'll release that, but you can look forward to that. And, of course, we'll have Assembly Call Radio coming up. And if there's any other breaking news uh, that comes up, we will have that for you here on the Assembly Call. Uh, so appreciate you being here. Make sure you sign up for the email list. Go to join.assemblycall.com. And, as always, take it from the green light himself. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. I like everything about that. Hear that? That's the sound of someone trying to steal your crypto. Every day, thousands of hackers online are doing the same. That's why Arculus uses air-gapped cold storage technology to protect your assets. Using our keycard and wallet app to form a protective barrier, Arculus insulates you from hackers and puts control of your digital assets back in your hands. Order the first truly air-gapped crypto wallet at GetArculus.com.